What is going on, everybody? I want to welcome you from Half Court. I am Sean Murphy, your host, and I want to welcome you to my NBA podcast. Now, I know you might be asking yourself, first of all, who are you? Second of all, why do you have an NBA podcast? Why should I listen to you? What am I doing here? Well, I'm going to give you a real quick backstory on that. First of all, I have been an NBA fan ever since I was a kid. It started when I was watching my favorite team, the Detroit Pistons, which we will be getting to later. And for me, ever since then, I have always loved the NBA. And I have always loved the game of basketball. And so for me, it's something that's been an obsession of mine ever since I was a little kid. And so was talking about the game of basketball. And quite frankly, I was a bad player. And there's just no getting around that. And so I was always better at talking hoops. And so it's gotten to this point where for years, a dream of mine has been to have a platform and to have a place to talk about hoops. And I've always been looking for it. But the thing is, is that I decided that it was time that I make this platform for myself. And so now... Coming in here as a fan, as someone that's loved the game of basketball, that's been watching the NBA ever since I was a little kid, I am so excited to start this journey, and I hope that you choose to join me, because each and every week, I am going to be going over the NBA, all things basketball, talking about the things that I want to talk about, the things that interest me, the things that scare me, and I just hope that you decide to join me on this journey. Now, just to plug some things real quick, just to get into the rigmarole of the whole show. First of all, you can find me on Twitter at West 255 Listen, it is a stupid name on Twitter, but I am proud of it. I am keeping that name as long as I can. You can follow me on there for any live updates about the podcast, about myself, all things basketball, maybe some politics dabbled in there too, mainly just basketball, but that is where you're going to want to follow me on Twitter, at West 255 But enough of that. I think it's time that we get into talking some hoops. We, we've talked about it for a second, but it's time we actually talk about some basketball, right? So each and every week, the show is going to start with my topic of the show. And today... I, w- I had a plan, okay? I had a plan that I was going to come in and I was going to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. And I was excited to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. And not for good intentions. I don't like them, okay? But I cannot in good conscience sit here after watching what happened to the to the Brooklyn Nets after these two games against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and just ignore what's happening. Because, oh my gosh, what is going on in Brooklyn? Genuine question. What is going on in Brooklyn? Because ever since this season started, there has been drama. There has been chaos. Things have not been going the way that they are supposed to go. Right? First of all, I think the Brooklyn season started off really rough. Right with the injury to Spencer Dinwid injury of Spencer Dinwiddie against the Charlotte Hornets, that was a terrible way to start the season. So you you go out and you and you lose one of your 
one of your star up and coming players, one of your role players that's going to help distribute the ball, that can score, that can go out there with the bench unit and just give you some depth. And in my opinion, going into this season, one of the things that I loved about the Brooklyn Nets was their depth. They had Torian Prince, they had Jared Allen, they had Karis LeVert, they had Spencer Dinwiddie. And you have all these guys, and you can throw them alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And with that combination, you just have this unstoppable team. You just have this problem that you don't have a solution for, right? But then the injury of Spencer Dinwiddie almost completely changes the fate of the league because that injury puts Brooklyn in a bind. It makes them a hostage to this situation where they have to go out and they have to make their own fortune. And so that causes them to reevaluate their team, reevaluate what's going on, and it makes them trade for James Harden. You know, James Harden, one of the most unstoppable scorers in the league, an all-time great player, an absolute monster, right? But... They go out and they get James Harden. And in exchange, they they trade Jared Allen. They trade Torian Prince. They trade Karis LeVert. They trade all of their depth. The only guy that they have left, it feels like, is, is, is Joe Harris. And it's and so now it's this team with this, don't get me wrong, elite big three. Probably, definitely the best big three we've seen in the league since... LeBron, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade. But in return, you have a team that gave up 147 points to the Cleveland Cavaliers. To the Cleveland Cavaliers! In the first two games of this big three, granted, Kevin Durant did not play in one of them. They go out and they lose by 12 points in both games. To Colin Sexton and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, before we get forward and we actually dive a little deeper into Brooklyn and the issues that I have and the things that I want to explore, you got to give credit where credit's due, right? Colin Sexton is balling right now. He's averaging 26.8 points per game on 52% shooting. And the dude dropped 42 on the Nets. 42! The first game of this Brooklyn Nets big three that we're all excited about, that everybody's hyped, we're all speculating on just how dominant they're going to be. And Colin Sexton just decides, you know what, I am going to steal the show and I'm going to drop a 40 bomb on this team. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not like he he faced much opposition in any way because of the fact that the Brooklyn Nets, in making this powerhouse, just decided, you know what? Who needs to play defense? Who needs the defensive side of the ball? It's not like basketball has two pieces of the game or anything. But Colin Sexton, despite all that, let's let's dial back for a second and realize what this really means. Because, first of all, if you forget, Colin Sexton was drafted the offseason that LeBron left. He was the one asset that Cleveland actually hung on to in the Kyrie Irving trade. So, 
he had this impossible mission and this impossible task of living up to losing LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. Let that sink in. He had to come in and replace LeBron James and Kyrie Irving in his first year of the league on a historically terrible franchise. And in his third year, he's averaging 27 a game and he drops a 40 bomb on this Nets team. I'm not saying that this is something that we can expect from Colin Sexton all the time. In fact, if I was a betting man, I would say Colin Sexton is going to be a all-star caliber player at some point. Right now, he's he's certainly playing like an all-star caliber player. But I, I think the betting man in me would say that he's not going to be an elite NBA player. But I think sometimes, especially in, in this game, you have to appreciate those kinds of guys. The guys that go out there that still perform, that can put up those numbers because we we appreciate the stars so much, but sometimes we limit those stars to just one stratosphere, to the LeBrons, the KDs, the Kawhis. But this is such a talent-filled league with guys like Colin Sexton, John Morant, guys that can go out there and just put up a bucket. And quite frankly, as someone that has a franchise that is struggling, I got to give the guy props. I mean, he's absolutely playing well, but that's not what I want to talk about. I just needed to give a second to shout out Colin Sexton because he is balling. And if you are a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, this is probably the most excited and the most enthusiastic that you've been about your franchise since you lost Kawhi. I mean, since you lost LeBron and you lost Kyrie and that's the truth. But now, it, we got to talk Kyrie Irving. We have to. Because th- I've been mulling this question for a while. So I'm not even like I'm not even going to talk about his leave and his, pers- and his leave of absence where he just decided that he was going to leave for seven games. My, my personal take on that is that Kyrie Irving is a, he's a very generous guy. He very much cares about social issues and change and things like that. And if you look at, if you look just solely off of the things that he's done in that regard, you have to give him props. So I don't I don't want to make any judgments on who Kyrie Irving is as a person. I want to talk about Kyrie Irving solely as a player. Okay? And I want to ask this thing. Is Kyrie the kind of player that can make a sacrifice for this team? And in my opinion, I think it's a totally fair and valid question to ask because... Let's just let's just do the sample size, okay? Two games against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And again, I don't want to overreact too much, but I think that when this happens against the Cleveland Cavaliers and the expectations are as high as they are, and this is the beginning of this experiment, I think it's worth at least looking at, okay? In his first two games against the Cleveland Cavaliers, Kyrie Irving has shot the ball 50 Two times. 52 times. In the first game, game one, he shot the ball 28 times. And in game two, he shot it 24 times. Let me let me remind you, game two 
was the game that Kevin Durant wasn't playing in. He wasn't in the game. And Kyrie shot the ball less when Kevin Durant wasn't playing. James Harden in those two games, who has earned himself a reputation of just shooting the ball an ungodly amount of times. He, in those two games, again, mind you, Kevin Durant did not play in the second game. James Harden shot the ball 28 times. 28. Kyrie had that in one game. Kevin Durant, in his first game, he managed to get 25 shots. Good for him. But Kyrie had 28 in his first game back from that absence. He comes back and he says, hey, welcome, James. Glad to have you. I'm not changing my game at all. I'm just going to shoot the ball 28 times. And Because here's the thing. The one thing that I've learned from watching this game for years and the number one thing that that happens in these big threes that are successful. The biggest thing that these players need to learn is that they need to sacrifice in order for teams to succeed in order for these big threes to win championships, especially when the fit isn't natural, right? Kyrie especially needs to sacrifice in order for this team to succeed. And quite frankly, The reason why I'm this concerned and the reason why this is as much of a conversation as it is, is because with Kyrie, this is not the first time that this was an issue. I don't think we need to get into his, into his Boston days. Those hurt. (laughs) Those, those days made me sad, but let's go to his Cleveland days, right? Because Kyrie, there were multiple reports where he was bothered with how much LeBron had the ball. But there were also plenty of reports where LeBron (laughs) felt the exact same way about Kyrie. Mind you, LeBron was going to give the keys of the ship over to Kyrie in Cleveland. LeBron said publicly that he was prepared to give that team to Kyrie. Yet Kyrie... He's like, nope, (laughs) you hold the ball too much. I'm not sacrificing. Trade me. And he goes to Boston. It doesn't work there. And now he's in Brooklyn. He wanted his own team. He He didn't want to sacrifice nothing. And it was evident that that didn't work. And now in Brooklyn, he's in another situation where he is going to be asked to sacrifice. And the question is, is he capable of doing it? Right now, I'm not fully convinced. And the thing is, is that in this big three, these are all three guys that rely on having the ball. That all rely on scoring. The only player that you don't need to have dominating the ball for the entirety of the time is Kevin Durant. If you put Kevin Durant in his spots, he's going to score. If if you look at his time in Golden State, where everyone was like, oh, well, you only have one ball. Like, how is that team going to work? It worked because Kevin Durant is a selfless player. In Golden State, he got less touches and his averages stayed the same. If anything, they went up. 
But now in Brooklyn, he's not with those same selfless players. He's not with Steph Curry. He's not with Klay Thompson. He's not with Draymond Green. He's with James Harden. And he's with Kyrie Irving. James Harden, he's proven to be a playmaker. An an elite one. Over the years, that was one of the things about him in Houston that I think that we just straight up didn't talk about. Is the fact that he was an elite playmaker. But now, that's even more apparent because he can't be the number one scoring option on this team. That is Kevin Durant. And that's what that's what James Harden has said. He has said all the right things ever since being in Brooklyn. Have you noticed how his demeanor's changed in some images? He's looked skinnier. He went out he went out there he went from looking like Kimbo Slice to like Snoop Dogg at one point. He just straight up looked skinnier when he got to Brooklyn. But that we don't gotta get into the weight thing. Look, I'm a bigger guy. I cannot judge on that. But straight up, he looked better in Brooklyn, even physically. He has been a shining beacon for this team. He and he is an elite scorer. And he's a better one than Kyrie. And he's getting half the shots. Now, Kyrie, let, let's, I don't want to bash him forever because I love Kyrie, okay? Kyrie is a sensational playmaker. He is a tremendous spot-up shooter when he agrees to be. When he's okay with that role of not having the ball in his hands all the time, oh my gosh, it, can he be a deadly scorer. That Golden State Cleveland final series when when Kyrie had the ball in his hands when LeBron would set him up and put him in his spots deadly. Kyrie has one of the greatest shots in the history of the finals. That game 7 dagger 3 against the Golden State Warriors absolutely tremendous. And, and let's let's be quite frank. He is an all-time great ball handler. His handles are ungodly real. But here's the problem. Kyrie knows he's an all-time great ball handler. And quite frankly, you can't really blame him for taking advantage of it. You can't. And there are two situations to me that pop up that are very easy to compare to this situation. One of them we already talked about a little bit, and that's the one that had Kyrie, and that's the big three of Kyrie and LeBron and Kevin Love with the Cavs. And then the other one is the Miami Heat big three of LeBron, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh. To me, that is going to be the big three that is going to draw all the comparisons that we're going to talk about quite a bit. And I think that throughout the season is going to be something that's going to be quite a topic of discussion. Let's look at the Pete Big Three a little bit. And let's see if we can draw any comparisons. So, first of all, I think I think we forget that the Heat started 5-4. and four. That they were struggling out of the gate. They in those, in those first nine games, they faced the Boston Celtics twice. A team that was a problem for them. A team that they were assembled to beat. That was why the Heatles happened was because they didn't want to keep losing 
to the big three in Boston. And quite frankly, the Heat took two years to win a championship. They got to the finals in their first season. But they lost to a Dallas Mavericks team. And it's not hard to think of why. They, they, they had a lot of pains to get through. And it took them a while to get dominant. And when they got dominant, there was a reason. And that is because they knew the identity that they needed to take on as a team. They knew the way that they needed to go. And it started with Dwayne Wade. Who at the time was one of the top players in the league. Dwayne Wade was a dominant force in the NBA. That dude can ball. And that guy went... I got a setback. LeBron James needs to have the ball. He he is the best player on this team. He is the best player in this league. We have to put the ball in this guy's hands. And he's got to take us to, to the promised land. It was when Dwayne Wade admitted that he needed to sacrifice. And that he needed to give this team... Mind you, a team that he won their first championship ever with. A team that was nothing before him. He needed to give that team over to him. Over to LeBron. It took Chris Bosh, who was a very capable and underrated superstar in Toronto. A guy that... Dropped a career-high 24 game the season before coming to Miami. Taking on a completely different role in Miami. He needed to come and be a stretch five. Guard the biggest guy on the team. Come out and and get picks and shoot threes. And completely change his game. And he had to do all the dirty work in Miami. But the thing is, is that Chris Bosh was coming from a situation in Toronto where he was like, dude, where do I sign? Because they were just bad. And he just wanted to do whatever it took to win. And he talked, he's talked about it in a lot of interviews and a lot of podcasts about it wasn't the easiest thing to give up that kind of responsibility, that kind of offense. But Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, who at the time were, were two of the top 10 players in the league, saying, we got to step back. We got to let LeBron do his thing. And we have to find our roles within that team. And that's what it's going to take in, in, in Brooklyn. Now, Kyrie, he's the third player in this big three. He, There's no question about it. Kevin Durant and James Harden are two of the top five players in the league. There, You cannot make an argument to me that... Kyrie Irving is not the third wheel in this big three. It is just not going to happen. I, If I had children, I would put my children on it. But <laughs> it's not going to happen. Kyrie Irving, though, is not Chris Bosh. In good ways and in bad. Right? He he is an elite scoring presence. He is a, an amazing ball handler. He can very easily be a number one scoring option on any team. But he's also just a different player than Chris Bosh. I mean, obviously, he's going to have to sacrifice and do things in a different way. But it's also got to be admitted that he can be a distraction. He can be a problem. That 
in a locker room. He is beloved by his teammates, but he causes issues and he causes things that these players have to address that you don't want to talk about, that you don't care about. Do you think Steve Nash wants to sit up there each and every game and talk about where Kyrie's at mentally? If he's on this team, if what, what, how many touches he wants Kyrie to have, where he wants him on the court. Something tells me that Steve Nash probably doesn't love that all that much. Just, just a thought. The thing that's a big shame to me with Kyrie, and then we'll move on to talking more about the team. The thing that's a shame to me, and I was, and I was talking about this with my, with my friend the other day, is that Kyrie, if you look at his list of, of things that he's done, um, he bought a home for George Floyd's family. He's donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to students in, in, his, in uh, HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, and helped put them, helped put them through college. Like, he, he has paid off people's student loan debt. He's paid for people's tuition. He helped cover salaries of WNBA players when they were in the bubble. Like, Kyrie Irving is just, a, he is a beacon of light. He is a beacon of change. He's a beacon of social and racial justice. Yet, we talk about him as if he's a distraction, as if he's a problem, as if he's a diva and not a, a selfish person when he is the opposite. And the thing that bothers me is that we have to talk about him that way because he completely overshadows and doesn't let these actions speak for themselves. Which is just tragic. It really is. But anyway, I, that's a, that is a whole other episode. That is a whole other podcast. And quite frankly, that would take someone who is way smarter than I am to unpack to a deeper level. Because I am just, that is just not going to be me. I can talk basketball. I, you know, you don't want to hear me talk about the world. Because, I mean, that's not what we're here for. If this Nets team's going to be successful, they have to play through Kevin Durant. And there's no getting around it. If I had to rank best players in the NBA right now, LeBron's one. Yep, okay, whatever. Kevin Durant's number two. Giannis is up there, absolutely. Anthony Davis is up there. You cannot make an argument to me that Kevin Durant is not the second best player in this league. He Right now, he's definitely my current MVP. But the thing is, is that he is a stone-cold killer on a basketball court with that with that ball in his hands. And the sacrifice in this big three needs to come from James Harden and Kyrie Irving. And in the small sample size, very small, James Harden knows that. And he finds a way to affect the game in different ways. He is not playing the same brand of basketball that he did in Houston where it's just dribble for 18 to 19 seconds and then figure out what in the last six seconds of the shot clock he's going to do. That is not the brand of basketball that he's playing. Let's look at his first four games in Brooklyn because as of recording, that's our sample size. He has put up 14, 12, 12, and 11 assists in his first four games. He's averaged a double-double in each of his every games, every game in Brooklyn with assists and points. 
you tell me that James Harden is selfish. Now, here's the thing. The most likely scenario is that by probably even this time next week, and probably in within two weeks to a month, there's going to be another episode that's going to go on, that, that's, that's going to be called, What's Going On With The Brooklyn Nets? As in, what is going on with how they're lighting the league on fire? Because more than likely, the Brooklyn Nets are not going to be this bad forever. They got Miami as a recording. They got Miami tonight. I, I'm a Miami team that's been struggling all year. That's definitely a great chance for them to pick it up. But yet again, you thought Cleveland was going to be an easy win. So uh, there's no easy wins in the NBA. One of the le- reasons why I love talking basketball. But if this team has, has championship aspirations, which they did before getting another top five player. They're going to have to learn the importance of sacrifice. And if they have championship aspirations and if they want to win, they're going to have to be a well-oiled machine to beat whoever's coming out of the West. Whatever that team is, they are going to have to be a well-oiled machine. Here's the thing. I know it's going to be the Lakers, okay? Let me dream. Okay, <laughs> let me have my hope that it could be somebody else. Because I, I, you're going to learn, I'm not a LeBron guy. I'm sorry. I don't like the Lakers. I, I know they're going to come out of the West. I know they're the best team in the league. I know they're probably going to repeat. But let me have my dreams. And if you want me to have my dreams, Brooklyn, you need to come out and you need to play better basketball because, oh my goodness, it has not been pretty so far. But they still have time to change. They have a whole season to get better. And quite frankly, I'm just fascinated to see how this big three is going to play out because, my goodness, what a start. And with that, we still have plenty of show, ladies and gentlemen. My next segment is Top Fives. This is where each and every week we are going to be going down a top five list in the NBA. And I figured it is the first episode of the pod. What better top five list to start than with my top five greatest players of all time? This is where you can hate on me, where you can go to my Twitter, remember, at West 255 and you can just rip into shreds my list. But this is my top five. I'm not going to apologize about it. I brought receipts. I know what I want. I know what I feel. These are my top five NBA players of all time. And at number five, it can't be anyone else than the late, great Kobe Bean Bryant. First of all, five-time champion, 18-time All-Star appearances, one-time MVP, Number four on the all-time scoring list in the NBA. The Michael Jordan of my generation. Mamba mentality. One of the stone-cold killers that the NBA had. The only thing that brings Kobe Bryant down on my list is he had such a decline. In his NBA career. After he tore his Achilles. He was just a shell of himself. Which you can't expect anything else. 
with a torn Achilles. That is what the torn Achilles does to you. It is, it is unfortunate, it is sad, it is tragic, but that's just what happened. But if you look at when he was dominant, when you look at what he did in this league, the legacy that he left behind, five NBA championships, two of the most dominant modern Lakers teams with the Shaq and Kobe Lakers, and then the, the Shaq, Pau Gasol, and Lamar Odom Lakers, Phil Jackson had Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, and he made both of them look fantastic. Kobe Bryant played a game, he played the game in a way that we haven't seen with almost anybody else. He he was so fierce, he wasn't afraid of anybody, he was looking to kill you on a basketball court, literally and figuratively. If If, if shooting could kill... If clutch baskets could kill, then Kobe Bryant would have a long hit list because, my goodness, the guy could ball. And I, I absolutely love Kobe. Rest in peace to the legend. He was one of those players that I didn't appreciate until the end of his career. And I will never forget sitting down and watching his final game when he went out and he scored 60 on the Utah Jazz. Simply put, that is one of the most magic performances in an NBA game where where Kobe went out and he proved he can still go out and he could still do it and turn it on when he needs to. Number five is Kobe Bryant. And with number four, I gotta go with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem is a is an is the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. Which is, a, which is a record that he's held on for so long and is something that seems so unreachable. He is a six-time NBA champion, a 19-time All-Star, a six-time league MVP, a Rookie of the Year winner. Kareem was a force in his 20-year NBA career. He's part of those Showtime Lakers teams. What else can you say about Kareem, right? He is a top five player of all time. His legacy in the game of basketball, but also as an ambassador for civil rights and for change, for equality. The man is simply an all-time great. The, the skyhook is, even if you're a, a novice NBA fan, I think you know the name Kareem. Because the guy went out and he just straight up performed. Part of why we know the NBA, part of why we know these teams... Part of why the Laker brand is as, as well known as it is, is because of Kareem. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar belongs in the top five of anybody's all-time NBA player list. And to me, I got him at number four. Number three, another Laker, which I hate, but that's okay. It's Magic Johnson. Magic has to be in the top three. And that is something I will never budge on. He is five time in his short career, five time champion, three time MVP, 12 time all star, third all time in the NBA in triple doubles. Before triple doubles became as easy as they as they were to get, by the way, before Russell Westbrook went out and got a triple double in his sleep, before guys like Luka Doncic who is not the most athletic player in the league, who is a tremendous talent, not bashing him, 
But before guys like that could roll out of bed and get a triple-double, Magic Johnson was out there doing it in a, in a much more physical league. Three-time Finals MVP, Mr. Showtime himself. Magic Johnson, if you think about it, right now we, we take for granted the amount of playmaking skills that these 6'9 wings have in the in the league we we take for granted guys that can go out that are that are the body size of a power forward or a small forward that play the game like a point guard and that happened because of magic he changed the game of basketball as we know it we he changed the idea that we needed positions on the court that he was the beginning of this positionless basketball movement that we're seeing in the league. And he was simply ahead of his time, yet perfect for his time. He was, he immediately came into the league and he immediately started dominating. He was part of the best iteration of the Lakers Celtics rivalry with him and Larry Bird. He was, he was part of that rivalry with the Bad Boys Pistons and Isaiah Thomas. He was part of the Dream Team. What can you say about Magic Johnson other than he is an all-time great NBA player? He wasn't a great shooter. He was an underrated scorer, but with his passing and his playmaking ability, with his, with his flash, he was one of the first players in this league of that was just truly box office and that can never be taken away from magic johnson all right now number two i think there's only two players that you can have in your top two and now the debate's just the matter of where you put them for me my number two is lebron james listen four-time champion four-time mvp criminally low by the way he should at least be a six-time league mvp the fact that he only has four is a crime he is a 16-time all-star he won rookie of the year he's third all-time on the nba scoring list he has 10 finals appearances there is a stretch of time where you could not turn on the nba finals and not see lebron james playing in fact, it's almost unthinkable. And, and the narrative was always that, oh, and, and this is an argument I would make too when I didn't want to like, you know, like LeBron. It was, oh, okay, well, he's just doing that in the East because the Eastern Conference is the easiest conference. So LeBron says, fine, I'll pack my bags and I'll go to, and I'll go to, I'll go to LA. I'll join a Lakers team. And immediately... And his second season with the Lakers completely breaks that narrative. It's it's almost it's incredible. Like the the thing that I hate to admit, and I think that a lot of people that don't like LeBron hate to admit, and I'm just getting it out of, out here on the podcast is he makes the argument for greatest of all time. He makes it harder to not put him at number one because he breaks every argument that you have. It's infuriating. And, and, and I'm going to admit that he's not my favorite player. And, and I have to be honest with that. But the NBA is a much better league with LeBron James. 
every every season he goes out and performs, he is always the same player. It's amazing. He he is thirty five. He just turned thirty six, and he looks the same. It's unreal. And no player has faced more scrutiny for a longer period of time. No player has had more pressure on them to succeed. From day one, when he was in high school, coming out of St. Vincent, St. Mary's in Akron, Ohio, a poor kid that grew up in a troubled home with him and his single mom. He relied on staying with his friends and going out dominating in AAU tournaments. This kid got deemed the chosen one by Sports Illustrated, that iconic Sports Illustrated cover that that deems LeBron James the chosen one. He had the he had the pressure with with social media on the rise that he had to come out and he had to live up to the chosen one. He he had to live up to the hype of being one of the the highest rated prospect to come into the league. And somehow LeBron James not only lived up to the hype, but has surpassed wild expectations to end up surpassing that hype is just unreal. And few people on top of all that had to face the challenges he faced in Akron, the difficulties that he faced. And the NBA is probably the league with the biggest microscope. People make judgments on your personal life. People make judgments on what you wear, what you say on Twitter, how you talk, how you respond, what kind of teammate you seem. And there's never, outside of the decision, really been a questionable character mark on LeBron either. His wife is his high school sweetheart. He He's a family man. He, he's seen as he's such a public figure as a father. He's even a better actor than Michael Jordan. <laughs> like, I hate to say that, but man, I side note, when Space Jam 2 comes out, there is definitely going to be a special podcast related to that. And we are going to do a deep dive on Space Jam 2. That will happen. But he is an all-time advocate. He is an all-time performer. He's an all-time player. Quite frankly, as, as, I, as I foresee this list being a yearly updated list, even with the six finals losses, even with all the arguments that you can make, oh, he went to Miami, he didn't earn half of those championships, blah, blah, blah. He, he overcame a 3-1 deficit against the Golden State Warriors. He is making it harder and harder for me to make the argument that he is not the greatest player of all time. But having said that, that doesn't mean I'm not making that argument. Because the number one greatest player of all time is Michael Jordan. Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Who else? Literally who else? Other than LeBron James, who else can you make the argument for the greatest player in NBA history? Just to name a few things. Six-time champion. Six-time finals MVP. 14-time All-Star, one-time Defensive Player of the Year, number one player all-time in player efficiency, um, and average points per game, all-time leader in plus-minus, fifth all-time 
leading scorer in the NBA, rookie of the year, slam dunk champion, star of Space Jam, the, the, the Air Jordan brand. Michael Jordan changed the culture of basketball. I didn't even put how many MV, actual MVP awards he had. Hold on, let me pull up, pull that up. And as I do, like, what else can you say about Michael Jordan? I mean, growing up out of North Carolina, number three overall pick in the draft, Chicago Bulls franchise, it just, just historically hasn't been great. Six finals, uh, six MVP awards, by the way. Actually, one, two, three, five. My bad. Apparently, counting's just difficult. Um, Michael Jordan changed pop culture. There wasn't a figure in basketball as popular, as iconic, as truly visionary as as a, as a player. And the only knock on, on Michael Jordan during his time was he wasn't the advocate. He wasn't the um, he wasn't the the civil rights activist. He wasn't the the most active in pol- in politics or in pop culture or in things going on. But the thing is that Michael Jordan just wanted to hoop. If you do not know why Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time then you need to go on Netflix, and if you don't have Netflix, go to your grandma, because she probably has Netflix, and say, Grandma, I need your Netflix, give me your Netflix, and you need to watch The Last Dance, because that is all the proof that you need. Watching Michael Jordan, unfiltered, unedited, watching why he is the greatest. Watching him talk about his career, his teammates, how he saw the game, how he played the game, Michael Jordan is simply in a league of his own. The man left the sport <laughs> in the middle of his career after after a three-peat, which, mind you, a three-peat is not an easy thing to do. We haven't seen it since that, that Lakers team with Shaq and Kobe, okay? He does a three-peat and says, you know what? I need to retire. My dad died. I need to explore this baseball career. I got to see what that's about. And then he comes back and he does another three-peat. <laughs> he got two of them. And he left the city, led the city of Chicago to two three-peats. And mind you, this team has not been the same since Michael Jordan left. The Chicago Bulls, not only when Michael Jordan left, not only did Michael Jordan leave, relevance left with him. And the Bulls have been a noticeably different franchise ever since he left. Six NBA championships, all from Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time, okay? And even though I said that argument's getting harder, (laughs) it didn't take, you didn't have to break a sweat when starting that argument. Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. And with that, it is time to head into the final segment of the show, And I call this segment the State of the Pistons Address because I am a diehard Detroit Pistons fan. I sit here recording this podcast. You can't see me at all. I'm like John Cena right now. And I'm sitting here. I'm wearing my my Detroit Bad Boys hoodie. 
I'm sitting here looking at my at my notes. And oh boy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, Piston's life is pain. But no, in all seriousness, I feel the state of the Pistons right now is as good of a position that we can be in as as, as humanly possible. We're 3-12. and 12. As of this recording, uh, we played the we play the Philadelphia 76ers tonight. Um I can only imagine how that game is going to go. The best team in the East right now versus the worst team in the league. But the the thing that I admire about this team and the thing that's been said about this team, the, the consensus is the Detroit Pistons don't give up. They fight every single game that they go out and play. Troy Weaver and, and Dwayne Casey put together this roster that that is absolutely stellar in in competitive fire, and also fantastic in blowing games and losing. It's like we get to simultaneously watch this team go out and and play really competitive basketball, and then when the game matters, they go out and and they draw losses. And you know they're good at doing that, and you know that they're losing so much when your head coach comes out and says that the Pistons are due for a little luck. They're not. They're really not. Now, let's dive into a little specifics. First of all, when you're talking about this season, when you're talking about this team, you have to start with the fact that Jeremy Grant is balling. If you haven't been keeping up with the Pistons because you're a normal human being, Jeremy Grant was signed this offseason to a three-year, $60 million contract and, and he came to Detroit because he wanted to be a number one scoring option. Now, normally when a guy goes to a terrible team in the league and he wants to be a number one scoring option, that is normally not a good sign for where you are at as a franchise. But Jeremy Grant is proving himself right. He took a bet on himself and that bet is paying dividends because he is averaging 25 a game on the offensive end, and he is a stout defender on the defensive end. Jeremy Grant, before this season, he was playing, he played in, in, in Denver last year. In Denver, he was such a pivotal player for them. As far as a defensive player, he, he guarded LeBron in the playoffs last year in the bubble. He was arguably the best defender against LeBron in the bubble. And Denver hasn't looked like the same team ever since Jeremy Grant left. And the Pistons, although our record is worse, are a much stronger, grittier, hungrier team with him on the roster. And quite frankly, he's he's part of the reason why this team is fun to watch right now. Because he is just going out there and he is just proving the doubters wrong. We... We went into a season where, you know, elephant in the room, people wanted to keep Christian Wood. And the reports that are coming out suggest that the Pistons had a choice. They, they, they had the choice between getting Jeremy Grant or keeping Christian Wood. And as of right now, they're being proven right. As great as Christian Wood is playing in Houston... I would make the argument that there is not a more valuable commodity in the game of basketball than a 6'9", 3 and D wing that can score the ball at will. 
a guy that can create his own offense, that can shoot the three, that can defend anyone on the court. It is the most valuable commodity in the game of basketball. And that I will I will argue with to the day I die. And the fact that the Pistons found that in Jeremy Grant, and a guy that still has plenty of years left in this game, that in his eighth season is finally blossoming and proving to himself and proving to the league that he has been undervalued for too long is just cool to see. He is by far running away with that Most Improved Player Award. And if he did not win that award, that award doesn't deserve to exist because that would be a sham if he didn't win that award. The second thing I want to talk about, and this is just a brief thing, it just warms my heart that we have Isaiah Stewart on this team. Last night, we played against the Houston Rockets. He played some stout defense and wasn't scared defending DeMarcus Cousins. We saw about a week or two ago, we played the Milwaukee Bucks, and he got into a little bit of a, of a jawing match with, with Giannis Antetokounmpo at the end of the game. Before this season, he talked about how he was watching documentaries of the 03-04 Pistons. And quite frankly, I know we don't like to make these comparisons. I know it's not fair to make these comparisons, but it is impossible to look at Isaiah Stewart and not think of Ben Wallace, okay? It is impossible to not see a 2020 version of Ben Wallace. And even though he is not nearly the rim protector, he, he offensively take your take your pick. <laughs> They're like Ben Wallace, I love you. You were not an offensive player in, in the NBA. But uh, from a rebounding standpoint, Isaiah Stewart is just a dog. The guy is overall a dog. And if we can say that Isaiah Stewart is one of the things that we got back in the Christian Wood in that whole Christian Wood thing because he was technically part of that sign and trade with Houston, then I think we're we're doing just fine if we get Jeremy Grant and Isaiah Stewart. He is a piece that I am just excited to see going forward. And and on top of him, I mean, what rookie on this team isn't playing that well right now? I mean, like Sadiq Bey, when he's given opportunities, he's proven to arguably be one of the steals of the draft. He he had he he started out hot, but you know, he's been fluctuating a little bit. His minutes haven't been the most consistent, which I will get into that in a minute because oh boy, the Dwayne Casey hate I am not here for, but we will we'll get to that. Um Killian Hayes, I mean he he did not start out playing well. We, we just have to call it the way it is. But also, we didn't expect him to. He he was one of the more raw prospects coming, in, coming, into, coming into the draft, but he also was one of the most promising. He was a high upside acquisition. He is a um, already in this league a great passer, a, a good playmaker. He dodged a bullet with his hip injury, the fact that he didn't have to get surgery. And the fact that we have him, we have Isaiah Stewart, and we have Sadiq Bey, all three guys that we got in the first round this year. Yes, Tyrese Halliburton is absolutely balling in, in Sacramento right now. And I know that the Pist- at us Pistons fans, we, we have had it for years where we feel like we drafted the wrong guy. For years, we feel like we had that. But now... We can finally say, with these three picks, 
that we have an exciting young core that we're beginning to build around. That's the positive side of, of this team. And that is the thing that we can hang our hat on. Now, the Dwayne Casey hate, like I said, I'm not here for it. I'm not going to accept it. In fact, I'm going to um, I'm going to have some people on the podcast here at some point. My my guest next week is uh, is Tony Dombrowski. He is a um, he is a Detroit sports fanatic on Twitter. He re- recaps games for the for the Red Wings, for the Pistons, for the Tigers, for the Lions. You name it. Tony Dombrowski's talking about it. He's been critical of Dwayne Casey. Um, someone else that I've gotten to, to agree to come on the podcast. His name is Eli Bashy. Um, he and I are, are, I think he's pretty vocal on the camp of, of Dwayne Casey is not the answer. And I think if there was a camp of Dwayne Casey's not the problem, I would say I am that camp or I am part of that camp. Um, Dwayne Casey hates something I'm not going to tolerate right now because the, the true, the simple truth of the matter is, uh, there, there are two different philosophies that are, that are coming out about these rebuilds. And there's one where it is. Put in your young guys literally all the time. Just put them on the court, and that's player development. And then there's the real way that you plan that you that you develop players, which is you put them in there, you make them earn their minutes, you make them earn it in practice, earn it on the court, you make them earn it in how they how they conduct themselves, and you make it harder for him to put those veterans out on the court. You make it easier. To put those young guys out there. You make it easier to make decisions like putting Sadiq Bey in the starting lineup. You make it easier to say, hey Blake, how about you come off the bench this game? That happens by players earning it. Now, we'll get into that another episode. I think I want to dedicate an entire conversation to that. And I want to have other people on the podcast that can oppose me. I know know that's going to be a conversation on Twitter. And that is totally fine. But that is something that I am going to keep defending because Dwayne Casey is one of the best player development coaches in this league. And the last thing we got to talk about, we got to talk about Blake. And I don't want to end this episode on a bad note. I don't want to end this episode complaining, but it's just sad watching Blake Griffin struggle. And quite frankly, it's heartbreaking. Blake Griffin is, he doesn't have his bounce. He's not the same guy. He's averaging just under 13 a game. He's shooting 38% from the field and 32% from three. And I think that in Dwayne Casey has said, he's a guy that hasn't played in a year. We're trying to get him back his rhythm, but it is difficult to balance that with young guys minutes. And I think that is totally fair because I think that it, with Blake, you have to make sure that if there's any possible trade value for him, you have to find it and you have to let him find it too because he knows his future is not in Detroit. We know his future is not in Detroit. And unless he wants to, to be a dead man walking, he wants to pick up his player option and get $30 million next season, which if he does, you know, I totally understand. Can't be mad at the guy. I would do the same thing, but man, if he wants to be on a championship team, if he wants to win a championship, if he wants to prove himself, this is not way. This is not the way to do it. And I, I, it just, it's heartbreaking for me to say because I do hope he finds his rhythm. I do hope he finds his niche. I do hope that he he finds his game because to me, Blake Griffin is one of my favorite Pistons of all time. 
he gave his he he gave his legs just so that we could go to a playoff series and that we could have hope and have fun. But he is just not that guy right now. And I hope that he finds it. And with that, that is the end of episode one from Half Court. I have been your host, Sean Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at SeanYeWest255. Follow me there for updates about this podcast, about the NBA in general. Anything you want to see, my Twitter is the place to check. But with that, I hope you have a great week. I, I'm looking forward to talking to you next week. Again, by next next week, my guest is going to be Tody Dombrowski, and I will see you on Half Court.